Well, good afternoon. Um, friendship, what a topic, what a large topic to cover. Um, I, I was reading an article yesterday um, from, written by a fan of the football club that I follow, um, Liverpool. And um, it, was quite an, it was an interesting piece on friendship. It's written by a guy called Rob, Rob Gutman, who, who writes on Liverpool Football Club. He says, my friend Paul Granty, Grant, he doesn't follow the same club as me. Paul is a lifelong blue and an Evertonian, a good one, he says. He said, I don't hate Liverpool. He, he doesn't hate Liverpool. Paul is very much a good one. Paul has been to more Liverpool away games with me than any other red that I know. He likes the day out. We, we like each other's company. We love each other's company. Paul offers to drive. I offer to drink. It works for us. When we win, he applauds politely. I'm happy for you and the boys, Rob. When we lose, he smirks. My boys get annoyed. Paul, hands up, plays innocent. Paul is a good friend. Paul loves Norwich City away. As we get older, we've done less away together, but Norwich away is sacrosanct. Paul loves Norwich. He has a good friend in Norwich, which helps, but he also just loves Norwich. I do too. It's a special place. It's a great town. I've come to think of it as our town. Norwich is actually mine. And Paul's happiest place. Liverpool usually win there, and Paul and I always have a lovely time. We go to great pubs, we eat well, we enjoy old friends. Everything goes well for us in Norwich. In June, when the fixtures were announced, I'd book hotel rooms in Norwich for me, my boys, and my friend Paul. I didn't hesitate. A dream start to a season. I messaged Paul. We were both hugely excited. Being back in grounds, as if that wasn't enough, in an actual ground, in Norwich. Life doesn't get much better. A week later, though, our world spun disturbingly on their axis. Paul hadn't felt right for a couple of months. He couldn't sleep. He felt bloated and uncomfortable. He had tests. All seemed broadly okay. Just running repairs afoot. Then Paul felt much worse. He got more thoroughly checked out. He called me to tell he had, he had cancer. It wasn't good news. It's okay, mate. You're not alone. We'll, we'll beat this. We will. You and me. These things happen. What will be, will be. Within ten days, more tests, and Paul gets informed that it's bad, the bad cancer. He's been given three months to live. He phoned me to tell me this, not a conversation I can process, even now. Three weeks, not months later, Paul died. We don't get to go to Norwich together. I can't process Paul not being around, not going to the pub every week, not going to Norwich with me. I'm angry at him for dying. I'm really, really exasperated and angry. I'm not entirely sure I'll know what I'm, me I'm meant to do on the planet anymore, or indeed in Norwich, without him. I've shared more pints, more jokes, more minutes with Paul in the 27 years since we first met than I have with anyone, save for my family. I feel so very much more lonely without him. Rest in peace, mate. I'll think about you every day, and we'll always have Norwich. And reading this back, I feel bereft with regrets. I'm not a big regretter. I wanted to write the above for Paul and give it to him before he died. But even though he'd accepted his fate, I still couldn't find the courage to so boldly hold a death's mass mirror up to him. Do you know what I wanted to tell him? I badly wanted to tell him how much I loved him. How much I was going to miss him as a friend. But I thought that the finality of that confession might any more brutally make him confront his imminent demise. I prevaricated. It seemed too cruel. Meanwhile, he just died. I should have just told him. I should have just told him. A story of friendship. Now, you may not relate to a man obsessed with football and going to Norwich for away games, 
But I suspect you can probably relate to the question, to the, the thing that he talks at the heart of that, which is his friendship, his deep love for his friend, and his sense of loss when his friend is not there anymore. Now, today we're going to be looking in the Bible at the subject of friendship, and specifically what the Bible has to say about it in Proverbs. It's an impossible subject to do justice to in such a short space of time, but we're going to try. And the reason why it's important is actually because God considers friendship to be really important. Like so many things that are good in life, they are there because God created them for us. Done well, they can bring enormous blessing to us. Done badly, they can actually bring great pain and distress. Now, as we know, Proverbs is a book about wisdom. And actually, the wisdom in in Proverbs is, is the bedrock of the subject of friendship. And what ultimately stems from that? How our Creator's purpose is worked out in our lives. We serve a relational God. And we see that from the very beginning of the Bible. The relationship between God and man, that easy intimacy in the Garden of Eden, that was ruined, sadly, by sin coming into the world. But we see God's pursuit of man through the whole of the rest of Scripture. That desire for restoration, to restore the relationship between God and man. And Proverbs is a wisdom book, and all that we see stems from that basis. Hugo Black wrote a book called Friendship. It's one of the best books on friendship that you can get. And he said of the book of Proverbs, it might almost be called a treatise on friendship. There is no book, even in classical literature, which so exalts the idea of friendship and is so anxious to have it truly valued and carefully kept. Now, you're probably familiar, certainly if you're of a certain vintage, with Friends, which is uh, the New York sitcom that has proved to be enormously popular and has enjoyed a bit of a revival recently amongst uh, teenagers. And David Schwimmer, who uh, played Ross in Friends, said this. He said, it's a fantasy for a lot of people having a group of friends who become like family. And actually, that is, that is the thing, isn't it? Having a group of friends that you can almost consider close enough or closer than your own family. Mother Teresa, um, who saw many tragic things in her life, um, and, and many difficult things, said that the one thing that really cut to her heart the most of all the things that she saw, the worst disease, was loneliness. And friendship, if you like, is the antidote to that. Now, in truth, um, I stand here as a man talking about friendship, very conscious indeed that I feel a bit of a fraud in many ways, because my wife is better at it than I am. Uh, Women generally are better at friendship than men are, because they are perhaps more purposeful about pursuing friendship. They're more relational. I think men men tend to get sucked into this thing where we become very self-sufficient and we get told to be self-reliant. We don't need others. 
So I found, as I've been preparing this today, this is a challenge, actually, to me. I haven't always been the greatest friend. So we're going to look in Proverbs under three headings today as to, uh, in, in relation to this topic. Oops, sorry. I'm clicking the wrong thing. <laughs> so three points about friendship. We're going to look, firstly, what does Proverbs teach us about good friendship? Secondly, what does Proverbs warn us to avoid in friendship? And then finally, what does Jesus show us about what true friendship really is? So firstly, what is good friendship? Well, we're going to dot around Proverbs a bit, because there's so much wisdom in Proverbs. Um, The passages that we had read at the start were just little excerpts from different things we're going to be looking at. Um, But if you look at Proverbs 13.20, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. There's a lot in Proverbs about the importance of sticking with wise people. So firstly, choose your friends wisely. It's actually said there are three different types of people in this world. There are the wise people, there are people who are foolish, and there are people who are evil. Now we we know in truth that all of us are evil to a degree, but there are some people we know who will definitely lead you astray. And there are others who, who are more prone to be foolish. Only one of these groups of people, the wise people, actually will provide genuinely good friendship. And we see it in our world. You know, She fell in with a bad crowd. How often do we see that when we have a parent lamenting perhaps the fact that their child has drifted? We see that with our children as well. Um, we, 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 we look at the friends that they make and we think, well, they'll make a good friend. Or they won't make a particularly great friend for that, for that child. Look at your own pattern of friendships in your life, maybe when you were younger. You know who were the friends who were a good influence on you and who weren't so great. I can think back in my own life where maybe I was at university or at other times where I didn't end up with a particularly good crowd of friends. And it was the time I was in danger of being led astray was when I was within that crowd. So choose wisely. But secondly, giving before receiving. Because actually good friendship comes from giving. Look at Proverbs 9, verses 8 to 9. Instruct the wise, and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will add to their learning. If you sit under the instruction of someone wiser than yourself, then it stands to reason that you will grow wiser. And notice, in, in, again, in Proverbs 8, 8 to 9, Proverbs 9, 8 to 9, instruct the wise and they will be wise themselves. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. There's a link here between wisdom and righteousness. Because true wisdom comes from one who knows and follows God. That is true wisdom. So think about your friendships. Think about those people that you know who are both wise and selfless. Who actually give before they receive. Actually being strategic and looking out for those sort of people is a good thing. And always think, how can I give first in a friendship rather than looking to receive? I remember um, quite a few years ago when I was um, looking to become a partner in the, in the law firm where I, uh, I was, I was being mentored by an older, wiser guy 
and, and I said to him at one point, I said, what's, what's the key to becoming good at developing business? What, 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 what is the key? Uh, and he, he, he turned to me and said, it's very simple. It's very simple. You need to give before you receive. I said, well, that's, that's a radical idea. He said, always look to give first. And those people who are the best at developing business are those who give before they receive. So that's a very interesting, that's a very interesting thing. But actually, it, it's very true in life, isn't it? Actually, being selfless in friendship is the best way to do it. And if, you, if you're somebody who finds it difficult to make friends, and say, well, nobody wants to be friends with me at all, actually think first, well, what can I do to give to other people? Some years ago, um, we, I was involved with um, planting a new church um, in Birmingham. And um, it was quite interesting that we had various people who'd come through the door in those early days of the church. Um, and one or two single people came to our church. And I remember one particular man called Roger. And I will remember Roger. Um, and Ro- Roger was a, a, a single man in his 60s who had the most incredible gift of, um, of connecting with people. So within a week of Roger turning up at church, we were invited round to his house for dinner. And um, Roger pretty much had every single person in the church around at some point during that year for dinner. And it turned out that Roger knew absolutely everybody because Roger was incredibly generous with his time. And he had phenomenal friendships. Even though he was a single man, he, he made it his business to get to know everyone. And he, he, was, he was one of those people I just thought as, as a real example of somebody who really got what it meant to make good friendships. Hugh Black, the writer, said, we lament that we've got no staunch and faithful friends when we've not really expended the love that produces such. We want to reap where we have not sown. The secret of friendship is just the secret of all spiritual blessing. The way to get is to give. So giving before receiving. Thirdly, Good friendship actually comes from investing time. Proverbs 18.24 A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. See, there's a truth here, isn't there? We, we are very prone, particularly this day and age, to having lots and lots of superficial friendships. I think the, um, particularly people of my generation and younger, where... We're on Facebook and all these other things. You have lots and lots of people that you know a bit. Um, and actually, having many companions is not particularly advocated as being a good thing. But investing time in certain key people is a much better way to go. I mean, the, the truth is, the bedrock of a strong marriage is a friendship first, isn't it? T- Tim Keller said um, in his book on, on, um, on marriage, he said... So many people go about dating starting from the wrong end and they end up in marriages that aren't really about anything and aren't going anywhere. Um, so certainly it's something that I, when I talk to my boys about um, long term, about relationships, if they want to get married, I said actually having a friendship first is so important. Um, it's much more important than that something romantic blush as it were because the bedrock of a strong marriage is friendship. And when we look at the matter of friendship and, and, and indeed discipleship, we've got a great example in Jesus himself, haven't we? So Jesus had 12 disciples uh, who were men that stayed closely with him for the whole of his ministry of the three years 
he was doing his ministry on earth. And he formed particularly close bonds with three of them, Peter, James and John. We see that in Mark 9, 2. So we see Jesus modelling friendship with a small number of people. Now, if you're anything like me, you think, well, that's all very well, but I actually don't have very much time. How can I commit time to friendships where I don't have very much of it? Well, again, it's just thinking strategically. Actually, making a regular time commitment actually might, might be the best way. Um, my, one of my brothers is very good at saying every three months we need to get together, as I've got two brothers, uh, we meet together every, every three months and we have a meal together. And, that, and that, that regularity of that has meant that we've actually deepened our bonds as brothers. Uh, I don't know, friends, but, but, as, but as brothers. And, and that's been a good thing. Proverbs 27.10 says, Do not forsake your friend and the friend of your father. It's very easy to allow friendships to drift, isn't it? We hear it so often, I'm, I'm dreadful at staying in touch. But are, are we prioritising those friendships that are going to help us to grow? I'm often put to shame by friends. Well, I think of my friend Ben, who's great at just contacting me, dropping a little line, how are you doing? How, how, how is life going for you? He's, he's, a, he's a Christian brother I've known for years. He's a real encourager. And he puts me to shame at how deliberate he is in friendship. Fourthly, what makes a good friendship? Endurance through adversity. Proverbs 17.17 17 says... A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Now, I, I love the story of David and Jonathan in the Bible. Maybe it's because my name is Jonathan and my longest friend is called David, so I can certainly relate to it. But certainly, although David and I have known each other for over 40 years, I don't think our friendship has been tested as much as the biblical story of Jonathan and David. Because Jonathan's love for David was incredible. Even though Saul had turned against Jonathan, David stuck by him. He showed what actually adversity really meant. And, that, and, and there's a question. Where are your friends when adversity strikes? Where are you for your friends when hardship strikes? Are you going to be the person that they're going to call? Have you got the depth and the openness of relationship with your friends? that when they are hitting hard times, that they turn to you. Finally, and fifthly, in terms of what is good friendship from Proverbs, actually the whole issue of sharing your life is, 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 a, is a thing with friendship. I'm really struck by the passage actually in Thessalonians about this, 1 Thessalonians 2.8. So we cared for you. Let's talk about Paul writing to the Thessalonians. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Vaughan Roberts wrote a book called True Friendship, and he, he, particularly on Proverbs, and he says that the key ingredients in a good friendship are being open, are being interested, and being candid where you need to with people, telling them how it is. Because... I think so often we, we fall into this trap of thinking that every, everyone else has got it sorted. That if we're actually open with them and, and say, I'm really struggling in this area, that people just turn around and go, well, uh, you know, so, so, sorry to hear that. Actually, the truth is often, don't we find, that when we are open with people, if we can, if we can get to that level of trust, that they actually will open up themselves to us. 
And when we are, when we are deepening our friendships with people, showing an interest in how they're thinking and feeling, going beyond the superficial, and having that level of trust that we can be candid and honest with each other in a caring way. Colossians 3.16, to teach and admonish each other in all wisdom. What does that look like? Having that depth of trust between us that we can be honest with one another. So that's a model of good friendship. Choosing your friends wisely. Giving before receiving. Investing time in those relationships. Sticking with each other through hard times. And sharing your life together. Great wisdom from Proverbs in good friendship. But what about the flip side? What should we avoid in friendship? What should we be careful about as we do friendship? Well, Proverbs 24, 1-3 says this. It says, Do not envy the wicked. Do not desire their company. For their hearts plot violence, and their lives, and their lips talk about making trouble. Proverbs warns us to avoid people that will do us harm. Now, you said that's all very well, but how do, how do I discern these people? How, how do I find who these people are? Well, what does it say? Do not envy the wicked. Do not desire their company. For their hearts plot violence. Look at their hearts. And as the Bible says in Matthew 15, 18, but the thing that comes out of a person's mouth comes from the heart, and these defile them. Their lips talk about making trouble. So the advice is actually, we need to be very careful with people who speak things and say things that are destructive. They're saying things that people are saying things that you're not comfortable with. People who are prone to gossip, and we must examine ourselves in this as well. But where they talk badly of others who are not trustworthy, we need to be wary and we need to be careful. And we should be warned about getting too close to people as friends like this. In fact, we should deal with them dispassionately. Because the, the, the warning of Proverbs is here. Don't envy them. Don't look at them. I think, I would like to be like you. Don't desire their company. Be careful. Secondly, and this is a command to all of us, is watch our tongue. Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death. Vaughan Roberts again in True Friendship. He says, true friendship will sometimes be candid, be open with people. But we must always be careful about what we say. Proverbs 18.13 says, He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. We need to learn to listen before we speak. Because actually we can cause a lot of damage by a quick word, particularly in temper, against our friends. It should be obvious to us that we need to listen before we speak, but actually it, it, it's really fundamental. Proverbs fifteen twenty eight. there's so much in Proverbs about this. The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. It's certainly a thing I, I've, I've noticed in the last, last 25 years is that 
because of the fact that communication now is so instant, the fact you can send a text message, send a message on Facebook or whatever, or you can write an email and just send it. That actually the process that used to happen, and I'm, I'm confess old enough to remember this, where you physically used to write a letter and you would actually write the letter and usually put it in the envelope and then probably post it the next day. That's sort of gone now. You write it and it, it's gone. And there's almost sometimes no, not enough to think about it. The, 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 the gentleman who trained me as a lawyer originally once gave me a really wise piece of advice. He said, if you're ever angry when writing something, um, or you've been really worked up, write it, save it as a draft, go home, sleep on it, and come back the next day. And he said, you know what? Nine times out of ten, I've never sent that email or that communication in the same form. Because often, uh, when, when you consider things and you write in anger, it's not worded the right way. And we can do great damage to people by being too quick with our tongue, but also in terms of what we write as well. And that, that's, a, that's a challenge to all of us as to how we can damage our friendships. Thirdly, we need to be careful about avoiding gossip. Proverbs 16.28 says this, A perverse man stirs up dissension, and a gossip separates close friends. What does gossip do? Well, when you hear people talking about you behind your back, or when you talk about people behind their back, it undermines trust in friendships, doesn't it? And that's the key, because if they think, well, if I can't really trust them to talk well of me, do I really want them as a friend at all? Proverbs 20.19 says, A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid a man who talks too much. And there's, there's the point here, isn't it? Going even further than just gossip, it's actually betraying secrets. A gossip betrays a confidence. And there's a, there's a warning to all of us. If somebody shares something with us and gives us, gives us that trust, we need to keep it that way. It's incumbent on us to do so. Gossip will undermine friendships. Fourthly, we need to be sensitive with one another. Proverbs 27.14 says, If a man loudly blesses his neighbour early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Now I can see my wife smiling over there. Because um, Anna is not a morning person, whereas I am. And uh, in fact, Anna much prefers the evening. And, and so, <laughs> this is a rebuke to me sometimes for being perhaps overly jolly in the mornings. Now, I think I must stop here. The writer of the Proverbs is, is not attacking morning people. I think make that very clear. But it's what's behind it. It's that insensitivity, isn't it? Of, um, of just not being aware of how the other person is. In, in the same way, if somebody wants to go to sleep in the evening, then shouting at them is probably not a great thing either. Proverbs 25.20 says, Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, is the one who sings songs to a heavy heart. That's profound, isn't it? If someone is sad, if someone is struggling, then jollying them up is maybe not the best thing to do. Some people, it does work. Some people need lifting up jollity and banter and everything else. But particularly where someone suffered loss or hardship, sensitivity, quietness and open ear 
things that we can do. We can be good friends that way by being more sensitive. And then finally, avoid unhealthy dependency in relationships. Proverbs 29.5 says this, Whoever flatters his neighbour is spreading a net for his feet. You see, a friendship moves onto quite dangerous ground when it becomes one of emotional dependence. In essence, where you have one of the friends manipulating the other for their benefit. Now, they may flatter you. They may say, you're, you're the greatest friend ever. And I, and, I, you know, and I want to hang on your every word. But the warning here in Proverbs is actually, that can be dangerous. That can trip up the friend. Because the motive behind it is it can trip you up and cause you damage. Because a good friendship, a strong friendship, is a free and generous friendship. With no jealousy when friendships are formed with others. And when you see jealousy being exhibited, then that is a warning sign. We see this often amongst children, don't we? In the sort of playground thing, you're my best friend, uh, trying to exclude others. But sadly, sometimes we do see it creep into adults as well. The writer Laurie Rensel said about this, a dependent relationship is ingrown, creating mutual stagnation and limiting personal growth. A casual remark from our friend can send us into the heights of ecstasy or the pits of grief. While healthy friendship is joyful and upbuilding, emotional dependency can actually produce a bondage. Now, the good thing is, is this kind of problem is, is relatively rare. But I think we can all sense where we see selfishness exhibited in friendships and, 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 and frustration in friendships. That's much more common. And we just need to be aware all the time about the importance of guarding our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 Above all else, guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. That's a theme that, that actually the writer of Proverbs often comes back to. A lot of this comes back to the heart. And that's one thing I think we need to be really aware of in this situation. The importance of guarding our hearts. So what is true friendship? How does Jesus Christ show us what true friendship really is? So how, I mean, how have you reacted so far to the wisdom in Proverbs about friendship, about what is a good friendship and what to avoid? Have you felt a bit of a failure? I know I've certainly been challenged having prepared it. Have you been challenged to be a better friend? But I think it's really important to say that Proverbs is that it's not meant as a self-help book. You know these self-help books where essentially if you become a better person, if you improve yourself, you will become a better person. And that's not what Proverbs is about. Because the truth is we know, as believers, that we cannot fix these problems from within by suddenly striving ourselves to be a better person. They can actually only be fixed from outside, from the love that God showed us. Mark 12, 30-31. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That's the first commandment. And the second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. You see, there's a challenge here to us, isn't it? Is, is that we have failed 
when we've put ourselves first. We've neglected God. We've, we've failed to love God. And flowing from that, actually, we've failed them to love our neighbours. We've put ourselves first. And, and actually, if we're wronged often in friendships, we're very quick sometimes to turn away from those who wrong us, from those who hurt us. And yet, contrast God. What does God do? Despite the fact that we reject him, he does the opposite. Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own life for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because of what God has done, because of the fact he sent his own son for each one of us, we can actually be secure in that. It's not dependent on how we behave. He's done it because he loves us. And this is a relationship, this is a friendship, if you like, that fully satisfies much deeper and greater than any human friendship because we know that we are totally forgiven and our deepest longings are met. I think so often we make the mistake as human beings is that we try and put too much, actually, sometimes into friendship. We try and almost have our friends replace the role that God should be playing in our lives. That we become dependent on them and we look for salvation through them. But that is an unacceptable burden for any human friendship. Even a friendship in marriage, which is probably the most intimate friendship of all, in, in human terms. It just won't work. And actually the danger is, that thing I was just talking about, emotional dependency. Human relationships can fall into that, where that person essentially becomes an idol to us. But having a true relationship with God, the one that's based truly on unconditional love, will be able to withstand anything. 1 Peter 1 verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Because with that kind of friendship, we are never alone. Matthew 28, 20. I am with you always. You see, God's restoration of his relationship with man, through sending his only son to the cross, shows that he desires restoration of relationship and a relationship that will never fade, that will never grow weary, that will never tire. And all we have to do is to say, I accept, I accept that offer. I, 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 I accept that offer of grace that's been given to me, of unconditional love. And Jesus Christ is the perfect friend who enables us to become true friends ourselves. And it's that shared relationship in him, that shared Friendship actually can often form the deepest human friendships, where we're both bound by that love for Jesus Christ because of what he did for us first. Let's pray. Father God, we want to give you thanks for your word.
the profound wisdom in Proverbs about friendship. And it's something that affects all of us. We, we, we read these things and we know and we're rebuked by them and we're encouraged by them. And we pray for all of us that you'd help us to be better friends, particularly with our brothers and sisters in Christ. That we would um, be able to build up the body here by being better friends for each other. But we recognise that this is not something to make us better people. On the contrary, this is because you loved us first. Because you were willing to go to the cross for each one of us. So that we ourselves could be restored in true relationship. And know what actually true friendship is. One of unconditional acceptance. So pray that you would make us grace-filled, compassionate people who love each other as you loved us. Amen.